All right, Miss Sharon, do we have a clarification? Yeah, oh, that, so it was, <laughs> that means it was my mistake, not yours. Huh? She is glow because she does the bulletin. Uh, you, yeah, okay, wave it for everybody to see, Sharon. Go ahead, go ahead. You got it right, I got it wrong. Okay, so it is, but we still, though, need you to sign up, and we need you to sign up today, okay? Today is the last day to sign up because we really were, I think I'm right on it, we were really already supposed to have told them how many are coming. Okay, so uh, it is on the 21st, okay? And uh, so if you're going to go on the 21st, be sure and sign up. Beginning this morning and for the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a series entitled Living Upright in an Upside-Down World. That's the challenge that we Christians face, living upright in an upside-down world. The good news is Colossians chapter 3 tells us how to do that. And it'll take three or four messages from Colossians chapter 3 to help us understand and get the help that we need to live upright in an upside-down world. It's not easy to do. I mean, everything in this world is pretty much working against us Christians today. And so we need some help with that. And it can be challenging. Just like, for example, you know, at our house right now, uh, a gift from my parents is enabling Sharon and I to remodel pretty much our entire downstairs, which included quite a bit of drywall work. And with drywall work comes what? Dust. I could not walk, you know, and I'm a pastor, so I probably wear nicer clothes because you're a pastor and you're supposed to, and I try to keep them clean, I try to keep them right, but I could not walk from my front door to my back door without, as careful as I can, ending up with dust on me. Sharon would say, what's that on your jacket? And drywall dust. What's that on your slacks? And drywall dust. Now, if I were careless, I would come back covered with drywall dust. When I'm careful, I might get a little on me, but I don't get nearly as much. And that's kind of what it's like being a Christian in this sin-cursed world. We're going to encounter difficulties, and we're going to encounter failures on our part from time to time, particularly if we're not careful. But when we're careful and when we're cautious as Christians, we can reduce our problems dramatically. We can eliminate the drama in our lives dramatically. But we need to learn how to live upright in an upside-down world. And the good news for you and I this morning is Colossians deals with that. And if we will read it, and if we will change our lives to be into conformity for what is taught in Colossians, you're going to eliminate a lot of the heartache of this world, a lot of the drama a lot of the setbacks, and you're going to have victory. And that's what we want for From this pulpit, we're pulling for you. We're pulling for your family. We're pulling for your spouse. We're pulling for your, your children. And we're going to do our dead-level best to equip you every time you come here to be able to live upright in an upside-down world. We, we don't want to hear about wayward children, your children growing up wayward. We don't want to hear about problems between you and your spouse. We don't want to hear about, you know, uh, being addicted to this and that. I mean, we, we may hear about it, but when we hear about it, we want to help you. I mean, we're for you. I want you to understand that. We are for you. We are pulling for you. And the best thing we can do to help you the most is direct you to God's Word. 
I don't have the answers, but this book does. And I will share with you over the next several weeks the answers that this book tells us and gives us for living upright in an upside-down world. So, in Colossians chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 1. And this is what uh, is being dealt with by the Apostle Paul here. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Okay, he's talking to people who are born again. This message is for those of you that are born again. If you are unsaved, then you need to get saved. Then this message will be for you. This message is for unsaved. Only unsaved people can understand this. I mean, excuse me, only saved people can understand this message. And only saved people have the capacity to live this message. Again, if you're unsaved, we're going to give you the opportunity at the end of the service to be saved this morning. So he says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Okay, this is to believers. He tells you, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things, not on things on the earth. Folks, that is profound. Those two verses right there are profound. What he's telling you is love those things above. Let your affections be for things above, not for things on this earth. We are so tempted to just be in love with this world and the things of this world and the temptations of this world. If you are a serious believer this morning, you will understand that this verse right here is profound. It is life-changing when you consciously realize that you're not supposed to love this earth. You are supposed to love the things of God. In verses 3 and 4, he goes on to say, or explain why our affection should be above. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, okay, not, not something just on Sunday, not just something when you go to a wedding or a funeral, but if you're a Christian, he is to be your life. He is what your life is all about. Your life revolves around him. You think about him all the time. You adore him all the time. You praise him all the time. You want to do his will all the time. When you disappoint him, you repent all the time. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Right there, folks is the basis for living upright in an upside-down world. That is the basis where your affections are. This morning, you need to examine your heart and see if your affections truly are on the things of God or they are on the things of this earth. Because, folks, we live in dangerous times. We live in difficult times. We live in an upside-down world. By upside down, what we mean is today, more often than not, good is bad and bad is good and right is wrong and wrong is right. That's the world we live in. That's the world that was prophesied in the Bible. The Bible says in the last days and we're in the last days. That's exactly the way it's going to be. And guess what? That's the way it is. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. We live in an upside down world when Snoop Dogg is idolized and Tim Tebow is vilified. Amen? To anybody with an ounce of sense, that tells us, wait a minute. 
Snoop Dogg, people will go by the tens of thousands to his concerts and buy his music and he will set the standards for dress and what is cool and millions of teenagers, millions of young people and sadly millions of adults just think he's the greatest and yet so many people today will take a Christian young man like Tim Tebow and make fun of him and laugh at him. If that's not an indication that we're in an upside-down world in which you as Christians and I as a Christian are called to live, then I don't know what is. Another example. We live in an upside-down world when people support the killing of unborn babies but are opposed to the killing of animals. Something's wrong there, folks. That they are against your right to hunt, but they support the right to kill the unborn. Something's wrong there. It's just weird. It's just mind-boggling. And yet, it seems like ever-increasing numbers of people take that stand. That it's okay to kill an unborn baby. But don't dare go shoot a deer or any kind of animal for food or otherwise. We live, folks, in an upside-down world when you can ban prayer in schools... But you can't ban boys out of the girls' locker room. We're in an upside-down world. I would have never thought in my wildest dreams as a young man, as bad as it was then, that it would get this bad, that it would get worse. Now, why should this matter to you? Because so many of us just go through life like, well, I'm just going to live my life, I'm going to do my thing, and we just kind of resort to that philosophy. Well, understand this as a Christian. If you choose to go with the flow, and you also end up living upside down in an upside down world, it is not going to be without devastating consequences to you and your family and people that care about you. You cannot, as a Christian, just go with the flow, which means you too are going to idolize Snoop Dogg. You too are going to support the abortions. Well, they have their rights. You too are going to be that way. You too are going to say, well, these gay and lesbian people, they have their rights too. You're going with the flow. You are not going to, as a Christian, embrace that life without devastating consequences coming to you and hurting not only you, but the people that care about you. You can no more live an upside-down life in an upside-down world as a Christian, I heard some people talking about this, then a dog can enjoy taking a bath. You ever met a dog that likes a bath? We, we had a lab, and that lab loved the water, but he didn't like the water from the hose, okay? You know, we'd call Blair, Blair, you know, you put him in the river, put him in the lake, you know, he, he's in heaven, but put him in a bucket, he ain't happy, you know. And, and, and he, he's miserable. That, that is not what he's made for. Christians are not made. We are not programmed by the Holy Spirit to just go with the flow and to embrace the entertainment of the world and the philosophy of the world and all of that. Perfect example in the Bible, Lot. Lot had a choice. And Lot, as you know, had to separate from his uncle Abraham conflict were going on between, you know, the herdsmen. And so Abraham says, look, you, you choose where you're going to have your people and your, you know, your uh, work going on, I'll, and I'll take the other. And he looked around. He could have picked anywhere, but he picked Sodom. You talk about an upside-down place. 
And he chose to live there. And did he not pay horrible consequences? Maybe he thought he was doing okay. But it had horrible consequences for his wife. It had horrible consequences for his children. And eventually horrible consequences for him. There's a lot at stake here. You can go out of this room and it can be business as usual. You can dismiss this message as a believer if you want to. But I can promise you, based on the authority of God's word, you are going to have more drama in your life than you ever dreamed. Now, living a Christian life, living a right-side-up life in an upside-down world, is going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. But in walking circumspectly in this upside-down world, it's going to be like walking through my house when the drywall was going on. If you walk carefully, you're not going to get near the drywall on you, and you're going to be the better person for it. So how can you avoid the tragic consequences that comes with living upside-down in an upside-down world? We have the answer. And you're going to have to resist the temptation this morning of not heeding the answer and changing your life to bring your life into conformity with the answer. The first thing it says in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the whole chapter, not this morning, but over the next several weeks. The first thing it says, if you're going to avoid the drama, if you're going to avoid unnecessary, and I say it again, unnecessary heartache, unnecessary grief, that comes just by walking sloppily through a room filled with dust. If you're going to avoid that, then it says in verse number 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Some Christians are enamored with the earth's entertainment, the earth's philosophy, And what everybody is doing, unsaved people, by the way, who are, unless they get saved, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Why are we emulating them? They're walking in darkness. They don't even realize while they're walking in darkness what they're doing or the consequences they're going to be experiencing. The Bible says, set your affection on things above. To live upright in an upside-down world, you need to develop an affection for the things of God, not the things of earth. So when a Christian starts missing a lot of church, do you understand why I worry? Where is their affection on Sunday? Where is their affection on Wednesday? And I realize sometimes people have to miss work. I I understand that. I, I, I get that. But I do like to hear when people have to miss work when they say, boy, I hate it, Pastor. i got to work. Man, I wish I were there. That tells me you have an affection for the things of God. How do you know you have an affection for, for, for things above? How do you know that? Well, what are the things represented by things above? What are the things that are going to be eternal like the things above? To have an affection for the things above in a practical sense would mean that you have an affection for the Word of God. You have an affection for the Bible. You love reading it. You love going to Sunday school class where a teacher is going to teach it. You love coming to church on Sunday because the pastor is going to preach it. And on Wednesday night, that demonstrates to me you have an affection for the things of God. 
You demonstrate it when you want to be around God's people. Those are your brothers and sisters. How can you depart from them for weeks at a time, some Christians months at a time, they're not to be found? Where's your affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ? They are going to be, just like the Bible is eternal, their souls are eternal. Where's your affection for, for ministry, getting involved in me? There are people that come to church, and all they do is they're spectators. Now, I understand new Christians, it's going to be a while before you get comfortable and you get involved. You know, I understand for new people, there's going to be a time of transition and what have you. But at some point in time, if you really love the things above, you love what gets people above. And that's the work of the ministry. It gets difficult to hear a message like this because you know what? You can measure it. You, you, you can... I'm going to stick my neck out this morning. You can sit there and think, boy, Zach needs this. Zach, preach it to him. He's right there on the front row. Give it to him. He needs it. And it's going right over your head, okay? And you're thinking, I'm picking at Zach, but you you could point to anybody. My my wife needs this. My my husband needs this. But I think there's an an objective way to measure whether... To a degree, anyway, I'll be fair with you. To a degree, where your affections really are. Objective, there's a word I'm looking for. The way you document things. Uh, anyway, there, there's a way. You can check your affections, number one, you ready? By your pocketbook. If you have an affection for the things of God, the things above, your pocketbook will reveal that. You don't like that because that's objectively measurable. I'm not trying to make you mad. I want you to go out of here putting your arms around me saying, I love you, pastor. You're the best pastor in the world. That's what I want. I mean, I get that, but that's what I want. That's what I'd like anyway. That's an objective measure of your affections. No doubt about it because God says give. That's very clear in Scripture. You know, people talk about this, that, and the other. One thing I can tell you for sure, the Bible says give. So, so look at your pocketbook, number one. That's an objective measure of your heart. And number two, check your calendar. What do you have scheduled for next Sunday? What do you have scheduled for next Wednesday? You know, the things I love... I, I move them to the head of the product. That's priority. That's priority. Check your calendar. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, this message is for Zach, and it is, that's what you get for sitting on the front row. Lucky I'm not picking on you. Next week I'll get you if you're sitting there. <laughs> Set your affection. On things, I'm trying to. I'm pulling for you because I know you're at risk if you're not, if your affections aren't right. Understand, I'm not against you. I'm pulling for you. This man in this pulpit is for you, for your family, like you wouldn't believe. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see you disappointed. I don't want to see you make mistakes. I don't want to see your kids grow up wayward. I don't want you to have struggles with your with your spouse. I, I don't want to see you have tr- uh, struggles with with addictions. Adam Clark said. And I quote, love heavenly things, study them, 
Let your hearts be entirely engrossed by them. Now that you are converted to God, act in reference to heavenly things as ye did formerly in reference to those of earth. Now, having made a biblical case that our affections should be for things above, let me give you some reasons why. You might struggle, as we all do. Look, we're, we're still, we still have our flesh and the world and Satan to deal with, okay? And, and this, the things of this earth, the things of this world will draw us. It will entice us. It, it will tempt us. We, we all have to deal with that. And it will require some work and some effort to change your affections from the things of this earth to the, to the things above. But after... The Lord says to set your affections for things above. He gives us, I love this, motivation or inspiration to encourage you to do that. Because the Lord knows it's a struggle. He knows that our house is full of drywall dust. He knows how easy it is to get it on you. So he encourages us, look, don't, don't get near the drywall dust. And then he says, here's the reason why. Otherwise, you might say, you know, it's too much trouble. I mean, I'm just going to wear old clothes, and I'll get drywall dust on me. I'll just, I'll just get it on me, and, and, and that'll be it. And that's the easy route to go. And we all tend to want to go the easy route. So when he says, no, 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 don't. You be careful how you walk, and, and don't get too close to this wall, and be careful what you pick up, be careful what you carry around, because it's got drought. You know, you pick up a box, and it's got dust, and the next thing you know, it's all, all over you. He says, let me motivate you. Let, let me show you why it's worth the effort to change, if you will, or be more circumspect. Three things he gives us. Number one, we need to develop an affection for the things of God and not the things of earth because we as Christians have a new and better freedom. He says in verse number three, For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. The motivation for working to make sure that we're not attracted to this world and we are enthused about the things of God, we need to realize that you're dead to the world, he is saying there. Your life now is in Christ. You do not need to be held captive by the world or Satan or your flesh. You do not have to be the slave to those things. Set your affections above. Why? You are dead. Dead to what? Dead to the world. Dead to sin. Dead to temptations. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. So focus on Him Focus on the things that pleases him. Focus on the things that are going to get God's blessings on your life. I like this quote from Albert Barnes. He says concerning this verse, The idea of the apostle is that as Christ became literally dead in the tomb, so we, in virtue of our connection with him, have become dead to sin, to worldly influences, pleasures, and ambition. We're dead to those things. We used, when you were unsaved, you were a slave. You were a slave to everything bad. You just were going along with it, doing what everything else, what everybody else is doing, w- without regard to the fact that everybody else is having 
far greater problems than they ever wanted, and you're going to have those problems too. So you can set your affection on things above because you have a new freedom. You are dead to the old masters, the flesh, Satan, and the world. All your unsaved friends right now, your unsaved family, understand this. They are slaves. That's why they struggle. That's why they don't understand you. They are slaves. So they're walking in darkness. They don't even see it. They don't even get it. But the Bible is very clear about that. Now, you and I have been saved. We are dead to that. We are new creatures in Christ. We don't have to live that way. So we ought to want to put our affections on things above. We ought to want to to love the Bible, to love God, to love God's people, to love ministry. Number two, we need to develop an affection for the things of God and not the things of earth because we as Christians have a new and better focus. He says in verse number four, when Christ, who is our life, Christ, who is our life. If you're saved, everything in your life should revolve around Christ. Pleasing him, loving him. The idea should consume us. He should be our life. Understanding that we waste our lives when we are focused on things that don't matter. You know, all the stuff all our unsaved family and friends are chasing after, this is the best they'll ever know. For you and I, this is the worst we'll ever know. For them, it's the best they'll ever know. It's so shallow. It's so meaningless. It is so pointless. David Guzik said this. He's a Bible commentator, scholar. He says, sometimes we say music is his life, or sports are his life, or he lives for his work. Of the Christian, it should be said, Jesus Christ is his life. Think about that for a second. People may say of you that X is your life, or Y is your life, or Z is your life. People ought to say of you and me, Christ is his life. And that's a reason to set our affections on the things of God, on the things of above because Christ is our life we have a new and better freedom number one and we have a new and better focus number two we're dead in Christ so we have a freedom from all that stuff that creates so many problems and so many heartaches you know people that have their booze have to put up with the problems of alcohol people that you know are uh, slaves to cigarettes have to put up with the consequences of that but when you're dead in Christ you are free from all of that So we need to understand we have a better freedom. Number two, we have a better focus. And lastly, number three, we have a better future. We need to develop an affection for the things of God and not the things of earth because we as Christians have a new and better future. After he says in verse number four, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Why should we be focused on things above? Because our future is above. Our eternity is above. Our eternity is with God in heaven. He is our future. The things of this earth doesn't offer any future. I love this quote. This is from Biblical Illustrator. 
You feel I am not meant to be what I am. I have a better something. I have a something in me which is adapted for something better and higher. And I want to mount and soar, but that chain, the dragging chain of the body of sin and death, will keep me down. Now it is to now it is to such as you that this text comes and says to you, "Yes, your present state is not your soul's true condition. You have a hidden life. I would add uh, an exciting future." That life of yours pants to get out of the bonds and fetters which control it. And it shall be delivered soon, for Christ is coming. And the same appearance that belongs to him belongs to you. So understand this morning. Our affection ought to be for the things above. And folks, really, to a great degree the objective indication of whether or not that is true of you can to a great degree can be determined by looking at your checkbook. How much are you investing in the things above? And it can be seen in your calendar. Are you at church for church and for other activities? If not, it, it, can, it needs to raise the question in your mind that maybe you're not as affectionate towards the things above as you might want to believe. And you say, but I struggle because there's so much here on this earth and things and materialism and, you know, adulation that I, that I seek. You know, why should I change? Why should I start making, you know, God, the Bible, the church, ministry, God's people? Why, why should I make that, you know, number one? Understand in Christ you have a better freedom. You're not held captive. You're dead to sin. In Christ, you have a better focus. Understand that and appreciate that this morning. And in Christ, you have a better future. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. God says that, and then he says, here's why. Let me, let me explain. I like, I like when people explain things. He doesn't just give a command, set your affections on, on above, not things on this earth. But he says, here's the reason why. And the Lord, having explained that to you this morning through his word, maybe in the weeks and months to come, we might see a change in the checkbook. We might see a change in the calendar indicating the most important point of all, indicating a change in your affections. Christians that just play at it, folks, are the most miserable people on the face of the more miserable than unsaved people. Christians that just kind of play at it. Well, I got saved so I wouldn't have to go to hell, and other than that, I'm just living my life. I just go on business as usual. Not until you hear a message like this from your heavenly father. If you believed him for your salvation, are you going to dismiss him on everything else he's got to say? And he's got a lot to say. You can, do you have the nerve to pick and choose what you want to? Are you going to embrace what he says about salvation and avoiding hell and dismiss what he says about living for God here and now? Are you going to dismiss what he says about your affections? Not me. I'm all in. I mess up. But I'm all in. My life is committed. I, I, I too, 
as a pastor, my wife, as a pastor's wife, we constantly have to reevaluate. Are our affections changing? Are we getting a little more enamored with the things of this world and less enamored with the things of God? Oh, we've got to make a correction. Get on our knees, pray, dear Lord, forgive me. I can tell you this, I don't always get it right, but my heart is to get it right. I want my affections to be in the right place. Therein lies the blessings. That's how I keep the dust off my suit coat. That's how you keep sin and the destructive forces of sin out of your lives and your family's lives. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Let me ask you, first of all, do you know that you're a Christian?